Martin has been one of the most regular and vocal of the uh, contributors to the discussion. So, Martin, the floor is yours. Thank you very much. Um, actually, um, the, the pages of the Financial Times are quite safe because we both appeared in a veritable feast of excitement this morning. And neither of us, I think, have any responsibilities to the Financial Times for tomorrow. And certainly if we do, it's too late. Uh, I found my participation in this group uh, one of the most intellectually rewarding experiences of my life. Uh, I do not exclude my daily participation in the leader conference of the Financial Times. I'm very grateful to Richard and Paul for sponsoring it. Uh, I learned an immense amount on what is, I think, at least, and as I've argued on many occasions, for an economist, um, can, now for an economist, uh, among the biggest intellectual challenges we face. Uh, before I rem continue, let me just point out that, uh, for reasons I'm still not entirely clear about, I agreed to serve on the government's independent banking commission. This happened after I wrote the paper in this volume. And it needless to say, nothing that I say here, either in the, pa in the paper in the volume, nor that I say today, uh, um, in any way commits the Independent Banking Commission or uh, me as a member of the Independent Banking Commission. I leave my, it's myself completely open to change my mind on everything. The, um, the third point I would make is I have been persuaded since my writings on the Asian financial crisis. I have a long history of interest in emerging countries. But that was a decisive moment for, for me that the financial system has become or is in, insanely dangerous and events since then and particularly this crisis have made this perfectly clear. And I have written on many occasions and I've approached this topic of pay uh, in that light um, that uh, this has to be the last crisis because the next one will destroy us. So I would underline very, very strongly what others, a number of others have said about the seriousness of this issue and the absolutely intolerable um, proposition uh, fought for so hard by the industry that we should go back as soon as possible to insanity as usual. Um, the final point in how I've approached this subject, so that because I'm going to have to go through the argument rather quickly, um, my essential point is they fit together rather well in the following way. Um, because of the nature of the financing and structure of these financial, financial firms and the risks they create, shareholder value maximization, always a problem in managing limited liability companies, is insanely inappropriate for, uh, as a criterion for managing major financial businesses. And that is particularly and fundamentally true, as I will try to show in, in the context or because of the limited liability nature of the business. And my essential proposal on pay is that senior executives, it is the regulator's job to ensure that senior executives bear very and I mean ruinously large, personal liability in the event of failure. Uh, that is the essential view that I hold. They're holding a public trust uh, for its reasons. I, in running these institutions, 
And as long as that is the case, and I'll go in briefly into John's viewpoint, though I can't go into it very detail, in detail, they have to bear very substantial personal liability in the event of failure to meet this trust. The situation in which executives can gain the uh, institution, the, the creditors, and above all the state, and walk off with hundreds of millions of pounds or dollars is simply intolerable and unacceptable. Okay, that's, now you know everything I think. Um, to, to start off, I start off with this quote, which I think animates me and many others, and I think it's unanswerable. As Paul Volcker said, simply stated, the bright new financial system for all its talented participants, for all its rich rewards, failed the test of the, the marketplace. And I think we really have to stress this point. The breakdown that occurred um, and now uh, getting on for two years ago, as far as I can see, has really no historic par parallel in its scale and scope. And were it not for the activities of the state, the, f the core of the financial system of the world would have disappeared. So we are not talking about some small minor, uh, minor event. I will want to cover two issues. First, what, 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 what is the problem? And then what are the solutions? Seems quite logical. Now, a lot of the discussion and, uh, uh, is, of course, in terms of the fundamental problems of inequality and, f and fairness or unfairness in society. Uh, people have recognized that employees of financial institutions, a great deal of research on this now, have shared in the rapidly rising profits, very well laid out by Dare this morning, of financial institutions over the past few decades. And there is absolutely no doubt that this played a significant part in the extraordinary rise in inequality that we have seen over the last 30 years, which many people object to. I have a what I think is quite an extraordinary statistic, which I must say I didn't know until I read it in, in a book by Raghuram Rajan in my column this morning, in which he points out that in the United States, between 1976 and 2008, 58% of the real income increase went to the top 1% of the workers. And, uh, and, uh, um, uh, if, and that, uh, of course, includes in large measure the financial sector. The sense of grievance is exacerbated by a very strong sense that these exceptional rewards in the case of the financial sector are unfair and reflect, as again Adair has commented and Andy has commented on, the extraction of various kinds of rents or the result of explicit or implicit insurance by taxpayers. The second argument, and the one I focus, relates to something different. It's about incentives. Here we know, and this has been commented upon again this morning, that financial sector booms and busts, create huge losses for society, both in terms of direct bailouts and more fundamentally the effect uh, on the economy. To the extent that institutions are willing and able to take synchronized risks, uh, they, and without being too concerned about the downside, they increase the likelihood and severity of such crises. In uh, the financial sector industry, as Paul has pointed out, asymmetric information is pervasive, and it is particularly easy for strategies which are, in fact, all of whose returns essentially result from their beta characteristics because of the, the, the risk and the ability of the 
firms and the people in the firms to extract the upside with others taking the downside, um, may, it is possible to, to, um, to disguise the nature of those strategies and persuade people they're actually profitable, uh, profitable uh, strategies, uh, genuinely positive uh, some strategies. Shareholders obviously lack the capacity to monitor risks taken in immensely complicated uh, financial institutions they own. More, more important, in, uh, in uh, uh, highly leveraged limited liability companies in which shareholders are actually financing an extremely small part of the assets, again, as has been pointed out before in this discussion today, they lack the interest to monitor such, to such risk properly since they enjoy an option on the outside, upside and their downside is capped at zero. It's in this fundamental respect, for this fundamental reason, that uh, um, the shareholders' interests are problematic. That would not be problematic, uh, or not so obviously problematic, to the extent that information is readily available, but creditors also lack the interest to price the risks being assumed properly since they enjoy and they know they enjoy a high probability of rescue in the event of failure of an institution deemed systemically significant and that I would argue is the core of the too big to fail notion that essentially the point is that in the event of failures of large systemically significant institutions uh, creditors will be bailed out and that is of course exactly what we ensured after the Lehman failure. Managers have an incentive to bet the bank to the extent that their interests are aligned with those of the shareholders. And share op options, as Lucien Bebchuk has pointed out, are a particularly problematic form of pay because they're a leverage play on gains to shareholders. So they sort of double the, double, they multiply up the, the effects of leverage in terms of the, of the, um, of the fundamental asymmetry in the returns on the upside and costs on the downside. And so they will make management even more prone to bet the bank than the shareholders themselves, as he argues. Um, there is very substantial evidence uh, that the management of failed institutions have not lost all their, uh, their winnings uh, in the, in that they won from the pursuit of their fa ultimately failing strategies, but on the contrary have been able to cash out very substantial winnings before the collapse and in many cases after it as well. And we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars or uh, if not more. So it's not the case that driving your firm into the, into the dust is necessarily ruinous for your personal wealth. Finally, the combination uh, of asymmetric information with the immense complexity of such institutions pointed out by John, I agree with that, makes it virtually impossible for regulators and above all supervisors to monitor the risks from outside. And therefore, and this is the crucial problem, the problem of remuneration that I'm addressing in its incentive aspects is fundamentally an extreme version of the deep problem in this sector, which is the misalignment of incentives between the decision makers who, who decide on the risk inside the system and the ultimate risk bearers, particularly the taxpayers and the wider public, the people who will ultimately bear the price if these decisions go uh, wrong. So that, I think, is very briefly what I think are the two problems. So let us consider then what might be done about these problems. First, the question of pay levels and inequality. 
Uh, logically, I can see three possible solutions. Um, the first, which I think is something we should be doing, uh, which is to investigate the extent to which there are fundamental barriers to competition in this industry, i.e. the extent to which there is uh, monopoly rent, and if there, is, if there is, consider measures to promote competition or regulate returns in some relevant segments of the businesses, as we would do with any other form of, uh, of monopoly. Either we can engender, inject competition, or if it is a structural monopoly, we would surely, in most other important sectors of the economy, regulate it in some way. Uh, Obviously, we could, in theory, introduce direct controls over pay, but you would not be surprised to know I think that will be a nightmare, and I'm not recommending it in any way, shape, or form. And, of course, we can always consider tax policy, but that's, of course, general. I'm not recommending, in general, any uh, industry-specific tax policy um, apart from uh, the windfall bonus tax implemented last year, which I considered a one-off. Um, and had exactly the effect I wanted it to have. Structural reforms that increase competition uh, should shrink the size of the sector, increase capital requirements, lower equity returns, and reduce risk-taking. All the things, in other words, that have been discussed in this, um, in this uh, conference already and is under the book should also incidentally lower the rewards uh, the, the paper by Philippon and his co-author uh, discusses, interestingly, the connection between the rewards in the financial sector and regulation and deregulation over time. And if you accept the view which others have expressed, like Charles Goodhart, that clearly we're going to move to an environment of higher regulation and lower credit growth, it's extremely plausible, almost certain, that the epoch, the era of extreme excess reward, or what is perceived by society, will go away. Or not, if not go away, be, will be diminished, will seem less of a problem. So that's all I have to say on pay levels and inequality. Now let me go to the, what I think is the core of what I was asked to talk about, which is incentives. And the fundamental question is how one might better go about aligning a sense incentives between risk-takers and decision-makers, um, i.e. the people who ultimately bear the risk and decision-makers, or if one cannot do so, supervise risk-taking better. And I'm going to focus really on the incentive alignment question. I think very broadly speaking, there are two sorts of strategies, and John has spoken to one, and I'll devote more time to the second. The first, uh, very much in line with John's views and those of a number of others, I'll come to them in a moment, is to restruct the financial industry so that the, the most obviously risk-taking parts will self-evidently not need public bailouts in any circumstances, that they, they are no longer in any sense either too big or following the network connection too interconnected to fail. Uh, therefore, in a crisis, they will fail. And in that case, um, we can leave the monitoring of pay structures to shareholders and creditors in the way we would in any ordinary capitalist business. The alternative is to accept that we, for one reason or another, we either will not or cannot make those sorts of structural changes so that we will continue to have institutions which are systemically significant and are plausibly too big to fail, that they are implicitly and or explicitly insured in fundamental ways. And in that case, we have to find some sort of structure which aligns the interests of the decision takers with the ultimate risk takers, which, as I've said, include the public at large. 
Now, on the first of these approaches, the question, uh, which is what John has been recommending, is whether such restructuring is actually feasible. And there are the two really interesting possibilities out there. Uh, uh, one is the proposal of John, which is narrow banking, uh, which would, to which will be appended in a way which we, we haven't had the time to discuss here. But essentially there will be a credibly uh, autonomous free market credit system and uh, quote-unquote casino outside this narrow banking system and that would be live and die by the market. And John has already expressed that. And a second, an even more radical proposal, which I think somebody has mentioned, I think Charles Goodhart mentioned, is that of Larry Kotlikoff, uh, which essentially involves the abolition of banking as such, because all financial institutions, without exception, would have 100% equity. And all equity, I will risk, would, would lie with households. This is a perfectly possible way of structuring the financial system, by the way, in my view, but it would be sensationally radical. It would basically be undoing about half a millennium or 600 or 700 years of financial history. And at this point, a classicist will point out actually probably nearly 3,000 years. Um, I'm somewhat sceptical about the likelihood or effectiveness of these being in, 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 injected into our country or the world, though I, I say that without in any way prejudging the conclusions of the Independent Banking Commission. On the first, uh, um, I uh, am, at the moment at least, not clear in my own mind that it would be possible for a government credibly to pre-commit itself to the proposition that the credit system is operating in the market, i.e. that a collapse will be permitted, and because of that, the risks will become large in the system, and that makes the, the pre-commitment even less credible. And I, uh, I'm particularly doubtful uh, that Larry's proposals would work not only because of their complexity but because panic effects would still operate. I'm afraid I don't have time to go into this further but let's assume for the moment that we can't do those things that we are actually still have a system which broadly speaking very broadly looks like the one we have uh, now uh, in that case what would we want to do to solve this incentive alignment problem? Uh, let me just make, in my last few minutes, some remarks about the broad principle and then a few detailed points. I'm not putting forward a, de a detailed schema because I think there are many different ways of doing this and I thought that would be pretty tedious. But it just does set out the broad principles. First, uh, the regulator represents the public interest I, the interest of the ultimate risk takers, as I have said, in the financial sector. And the interest of the regulator is, of course, in the soundness of the institutions under its supervision, namely their capacity to survive without bankruptcy. Uh, it has no interest in the returns to shareholders. It's, in this respect, fundamentally different from those of the shareholders. Um, at its minimum, therefore, it wants to seek uh, the, the uh, situation, it wants a situation in which the interests of decision makers are aligned pretty well with those of the people financing the balance sheet as a whole, namely creditors and the government that stands behind many of the creditors. 
The regulator should make it clear that it is the responsibility of management and others charged in a significant way with oversight of risk management in the institution to protect that balance sheet. That's what makes the financial sector special. The balance sheet matters, uh, not, uh, not just uh, the interests of shareholders. Bankruptcy is not an easy choice in such cases. So I, uh, how might these be made effective in practice? Regulators would establish for institutions deemed systemically significant. I do understand the difficulty of defining that, but it, that would have to happen. In any case, for many of the other proposals we've heard today, they would establish the principle of personal liability of relevant decision makers. And they should establish principles on which the relevant key decision makers will be identified, and they would certainly include all the executive directors. They should publish the criteria for determining the personal liability of people in such institutions, and I would argue that the liability should be for a substantial portion of total remuneration, whether paid as bonuses or salary, with the proportion rising with the seniority of the decision maker, and it will be accumulated for many, many years. Uh, the liability will be a cash amount. Uh, related to this payment, it would be indexed to inflation. And the period over which such a liability, as I mentioned, would continue should be substantial. Uh, it should be long enough to establish the viability of the strategies, and it would not necessarily, in fact, it would definitely not necessarily be expunged with the uh, departure of the executive from the, from the firm, since I want the executives to have a real interest in the sort of people they promote to replace them. Stock awards will be permitted, but stock options will be precluded for such decision makers for reasons that I've already indicated. The sale of stock will be prevented or would have to be replaced in other ways if the proceeds were spent in such a way that the net worth of decision makers, would, active or retired, would fall below their liability in the event of failure. The liability, and this is a proposal from the Squan Lake, would itself be uninsurable. It would be one that these decision makers would have to bear. Regulators would have a say in the remuneration structures of non-key decision makers in the firm, but the same principles would not apply. I don't want this to apply to every trader in the firm. That's the job of management to manage them uh, in light of their own interests. But there would be certainly a principle of clawback of remuneration in some cases in the event of failure. I think that's covered in the bonus proposals of the European Union, but I'm not an expert. Senior executives of failed financial firms would, of course, be barred from subsequent employment in the industry for a substantial period of time. Um, so these are my modest proposals, and I'm sure they will be immensely popular in the industry. Um, <laughs> But as I said, these are not private businesses. As we are at the moment, these are not private businesses. I would very much like them to be, but they are not, and the people who manage them and control them cannot behave as if they were. So let me just conclude my remarks. This is obviously a very fraught issue. People feel very strongly about it on both sides. Uh, I'm not arguing, and it's pretty obvious from what we have already said today, that the structure of pay and the incentives in the system are the principal cause of the crisis, though I do think the extraordinary rewards that were available for betting the bank, as I put it, uh, was a reason for what I sometimes have referred to as rational carelessness. Nevertheless, 
uh, the level and structure of awards is a big issue, and it's particularly true of incentives. I'm not, I don't want to overstate the moment the question of the level, though I've raised the issue and, and associated issues, because people obviously differ very much on that. But I think the incentive issue is absolutely central. Um, uh, the focus in the case of finance is, I, as I say, the structure of rewards and, above all, the proper alignment of incentives with, with, uh, those, with the interests of those who are ultimately bearing the risk, um, which uh, is the ultimate insurer of the balance sheet, of the liability side of the balance sheet. Alignment with the interests of shareholders doesn't begin to be enough um, in these uh, industries. How can it be when shareholders are only financing at most four or five percent of the balance sheet, as uh, Andy Haldane has pointed out. And we, as, as uh, taxpayers, have such an incredible interest in the uh, liabilities as a whole that we've actually bet the whole state on uh, guaranteeing them, and not only here but everywhere else in the world that could do so. And uh, therefore, the fundamental principle I have tried to incorporate in these ideas, which are not in any way unique to me, they've been proposed by a number of other people, which I've put in my paper, that managers are liable as a trust for the safety of the balance sheet as a whole, and regulators representing the interests of society should ensure that the incentives are, are sufficiently well in line to, in, to, to mean that in the event that the balance sheet fails, that the institution fails, that managers will pay an extremely heavy personal price. We all agree, do we not, that incentives matter. They matter on whether they make or whether they lose. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. A couple of questions, two or three questions. Uh, I, you had one already. Um, you've had one already. <laughs> the one over there, yes. Thank you. Martin, I think the interesting point about you here is that um, given this, where this would ultimately lead to, I think it's very clear, is much smaller firms, potentially even partnerships, going back to what we had in the 80s or in the 90s. Now, I find it interesting that you would want to um, put in place such a complex system and not go directly to the partnerships, because I can't imagine anyone in, at a senior level at banks such as the biggest banks in the U.S., who at a senior level would be willing to take personal liability for decisions by hundreds of managers across the whole world. So ultimately, I think it's very clear that the only way in, this, in which this could work long term is if you went to smaller firms, in which case it means, at least in my opinion, you're much better off going and saying directly you should be small firms and partnerships rather than using what seems to be a proxy to force the firms in a very, in my opinion, non-elegant non way to become smaller. Well, I'm not persuaded that this is the necessary result. It is important... I mean, the way I have envisaged this is this will be triggered by a rescue of your firm. Now, in the case, uh, and the rescue would take the form either of a direct government injections of equity or a guarantee of the balance sheet, the guarantee of the liability side of the balance sheet. Now, as I understand it, um, uh, the... Uh, in this crisis, it's true, which was a very, very extreme crisis, that would probably apply to most 
of the financial institutions, certainly in America and Britain. But we would have to regard this, and I hope it will be the case as a result of these measures, that, the, first of all, these are very rare These are rare crises. You have a pretty good chance of getting away with it. And second, that you would manage the institution in such a way, and the institutions in such a way, that it was far more plausible that uh, you would avoid such a, uh, a meltdown. And don't forget that one of the ways you can do that, of course, is structuring your business in such a way as to reduce their network connection, the extreme network connection of the institutions in the last uh, 20 or 30 years is partly related to the, the way the business has evolved in terms of the investment banking side and the market side of the business. And so it doesn't seem to me obvious that the natural response for every rational decision maker in the, in, the, in the world is to decide that I will never under any circumstances be the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan. But if it were the case that these are risks that the chairman and CEO of J.P. Morgan under any conceivable strategy would not be prepared to bear, then uh, from my point of view, if that's an indirect way of getting a restructured financial system which is safer, I'll live with the consequences. Uh, the question there, please. Janet yeah. Williamson from the TC. Um, just point out very quickly that the majority of workers and banks obviously don't very high levels, but I wanted to make a couple of comments on your, uh, on your sort of proposal for tackling uh, the incentives in, in the banking sector. Um, is there a danger that you'd find, if you left all the other aspects of pay setting that currently exist in place, that bankers would use this framework to drive up pay levels, um, which I know you said you weren't overly concerned with, but many others are and do have a strong impact upon inequality, as you, as you have noted. And the second is a general comment, which is that performance-related pay has not generally, in our view anyway, been seem to work very effectively. I mean, across the corporate sector as a, as a whole, executive pay has not correlated well with company performance, and there's lots of evidence to suggest it doesn't really work well in terms of motivation either. And do we, I put the question, do we actually want people who are motivated primarily by financial rewards running our corporations? Or do, you know, many people in this room, I'm sure, are basically paid, you know, a fair wage for a fair day's work. And is, uh, is there not something preferable about that kind of concept being the primary determinant of pay for people who are making decisions that affect the lives of very many other people? You raise many very, very big issues. I'm not, I wasn't asked to restructure our society and I, in this, and I wasn't asked to restructure the way the corporate sector as a whole pays itself. Uh, thank heavens, because uh, that's a very big set of issues. Uh, and I noticed, as it were, in part these issues, um, but I did make at least some points about ways in which, in my view, uh, changing the competitive environment and dealing with monopoly elements might deal with some of the rent extraction here. But whether or not uh, remuneration motivates people in other sectors of society. I find it really hard to believe that, that, that expected rewards does not influence bankers. 
certainly it seems to influence the, the friends of mine who are bankers, so I, I can't believe it's irrelevant. All I am trying to say is the way the rewards are now structured, and this was shown, has been shown particularly well in a series of, I think, very important papers by Lucien Bedchuk of Harvard, uh, and in a book by him, is that uh, it's, uh, uh, it's a very highly geared um, uh, result of risk-taking with extremely favorable upside and very limited downside in the event of a essentially gross failure. He, he, he points out, for example, and these figures may be wrong, that uh, the chairman and CEO of, Full, of Lehman, uh, Dick Fulder, who's been mentioned, and I, I believe this the data right, had, before the institution failed, succeeded in extracting many, many hundreds of millions of dollars as a result of the strategies it was pursuing. It seems to me that since this is an industry in which incentives clearly count for something, in fact, I would say a great deal, realigning, the, if we can't go the structural route, and I'm, I'm, very like, I'm very attracted to structural routes, if we can't go the structural route, then readjusting those incentives are very important. And an essential part of this is the way limited liability works in this industry, a point that I've made in other con and others have made already in presentations today. I am not suggesting this will fix everything, but it will make them very, very cautious, very much more cautious, which I think is, which in my view is the interest. In fact, it's already been suggested to me that it will make it so, they make them so cautious that most of these institutions will disappear. Well, that seems to suggest that you think there will no incentive effects, and the gentleman over here thinks the incentives are so effective that, in fact, um, all these institutions will disappear. So I, I sort of feel at the moment, given those two comments, I'm probably about right. Thank you very much, Martin.